Good morning. My name is Paul Dixon, Chief Executive and Managing Partner at Armstrong Watson. Welcome to this morning's uh, budget uh, webinar. Uh, on the call with me this morning, we have some faces that will be familiar to those of you who've joined us previously uh, for, 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 for webinars that we've been running this last 18 months. So we've got Karen Thompson, um, who's partner at Armstrong Watson, um, head of our payroll, out, outsourced payroll services, also our internal uh, people team. Uh, we've got Becky, Becky Bonus, who's a uh, partner at Armstrong Watson, also uh, heads up our corporate tax uh, team, and Graham Pauls, who also is a partner at Armstrong Watson and leads on our private client tax proposition. So today we've got uh, the three colleagues with, with me who, who are here to answer any questions you might have uh, arising from yesterday's budget. If you've got questions about tax that haven't arisen from yesterday's budget, free to stick them in and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do our best to answer any any questions. Um, yesterday budget, yesterday's budget for us was a, a, li a little bit flat afterwards, I think it was fair to say. There wasn't a lot came out of it, so if I'm honest, I'm not sure how long this webinar is going to last, but hopefully we'll be able to give you a bit of a, an update on, on what's happened in the budget. When you're looking at the papers this morning, uh, very mixed uh, views on, on what's happening. Uh, the Mirror leads with the headline, Champagne for the Rich, Real Pain uh, for the Poor. But I know after that, Becky was quite pleased that uh, the cost of her Prosecco on a Friday evening had gone down. So. Uh, but also a lot of comment about uh, the bankers' budget. But I think what you know, banks do pay more corporation tax, uh, and we do have in the UK one of the highest levels of taxation on on the banks. Uh, the Guardian uh, they lead with the headline: uh, Sunak's post-COVID plans spend now cut taxes later. And I'll ask Becky and Graham later for their views on what what do we think. Uh, the roadmap will be for soon in, in, in making tax cuts. Uh, as we go through uh, the Parliament, the, the Times that, that the Times leads with Sunak's spending spree. spree. Uh, again, more focus on uh, on uh, tax cuts and that that agenda uh, and the alcohol duty, where the Express leads with cheers for Rishi, cheers Rishi on the mission to cut taxes. Um, the Daily Mail, the, uh, with you know Boris looking like his usual uh, self, uh, the drinks are on us, um, and the Telegraph leading with the story, hey big spenders, and, and right throughout the, the, the stories in the in the Telegraph this morning, lots of commentary about how uh, Sunak has perhaps is taxing people uh, quite a, a lot um, and taking people's money, um, so. Graham, if I start with you, um, you, you are a bit blurry for me, which is on my screen, but that's fine. Um, what, what, what were your thoughts on the budget yesterday? What, what, what were you expecting to see in the budget that didn't happen? Um, I suppose what we were expecting to see that, that didn't happen was some of the changes to the capital taxes. Um, and then, as you said, Paul, there wasn't a lot that did actually happen, but, but where we really thought he'd make some changes, given what he's done with things like the uh, increased national insurance, which will become the health and social levy, 
we really thought he'd, he'd start to look at some of those capital tax issues, the inheritance tax issues, the capital gains tax issues. He's had a couple of consultations on capital gains tax, which has made some recommendations about aligning the rates of capital gains tax more closely with income tax, perhaps um, looking at the rebasing at the moment. We have to look back to 1982, which is 40 odd years ago, to try and rebase assets. So um, there was some talk about him doing that. Um, <clears throat> there was also some talk around some of the reliefs. I know there's a lot of people very concerned about what was entrepreneurs relief became business asset disposal relief. There were some people quite concerned that that might, that might change again. Um, there certainly had been a number of suggestions that he might tighten that up and bring it more in line with the relief that was there when I first was in tax uh, in, the, in the late 80s, which was a retirement relief, which we only applied to people over 55. So there were some thoughts he might bring it in for those people that are truly sort of looking to retire out of the business rather than um, the relief as it was, which was perhaps more for serial entrepreneurs. But now the rates come down, or the, the amount of a lifetime amounts come down to a million pounds. I suppose it, it's less of an issue. So we expected to see something around around those uh, tax uh, for capital gains tax for inheritance tax. Again, there's a, there's an awful lot of complexity in inheritance tax, and I uh, I read a report recently that suggested it was the most hated tax in in uh, Britain, um, and uh, we really thought he might have tried to simplify it a bit probably not really tinker with the rates, but remove some of the reliefs and simplify some of the reliefs. You know, this idea of you've got to wait seven years for something to go outside of your estate and actually you might have to look back seven years beyond that if you die within that period. So some of the complications that, that come with that tax, again, there was a consultation that had made some suggestions. There was a group of MPs who met in the December of 19 who made some recommendations around some of these reliefs, but he's done none of that. So I'm guessing, uh, you know, either that is to come or it's been parked. I suppose the important thing about those taxes, Paul, is that they're, they're quite small. You know, in terms of taxes that are going to generate a lot of revenue, they're probably, you know, five, six billion pounds worth of taxes each. Um, I mean, the inheritance tax is now at the highest level it's ever been at, but even so, it's quite a small tax. Um, but from a kind of tax policy point of view, given what he's done, uh, with other things, which you come on to with the the allowances and everything, it just seemed logical that he would he would attack some of these sort of capital wealth taxes and um, and make them more stringent, I suppose. Okay, thank you for that. And Becky, from a, a business perspective, what were you expecting to see that um, perhaps didn't happen? I don't think we're anticipating anything particularly around the headline rate of corporation tax because obviously that was increased earlier this year. I think what I was surprised that there was complete silence on was more anything around um, encouraging investment into green energy. Um, you know, certainly when I was speaking to my clients, that's an area that I thought we might see change would be some sort of either encouragement to invest in energy efficiency or some sort of punitive rate around businesses that weren't being as green as they could be. So I think that was probably the, the biggest surprise for me. Um, I maybe thought there might be more coming out of the R&D consultation that was held earlier this year. Um, mm -hmm. We've yet to see the legislation around the changes to R&D and how they're going to encourage UK investment in R&D, um, as opposed to obviously the, the benefits that businesses can, can gain from the tax reliefs in that sector, um, if they're then actually benefiting um, overseas businesses more. So it'll be interesting to see the, 
the, the, the devil that's in the detail of that legislation as well. Yeah, and just interested on, on the R&D tax reliefs, we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of very aggressive um, borderline claims coming from some of these boutiques, which we know if the when the revenue look into them, um, will get chucked out and that, you know, but people tend to go with the fact that the, the perhaps might get away with more tax reclaims than they, they probably should. Now, it wasn't really announced in the budget, and Graham, you do a bit of work on tax investigations, but they talked about some HMRC being given powers about being able to seize the assets of businesses that are pushing tax schemes. So what's happening there? Was that for me or for Graham? Well, I, I, it was Graham, because I know it's a lot of work around yeah. tax investigation. Yeah, well, in the spring budget, they already had announced sort of um, many hundreds of millions of pounds to pump into new tax inspectors to start looking at um, people that weren't paying the right amount of tax. And, and some of these tax schemes would certainly be caught by that. And um, if you looked at the correlation between the spending and what they expected to get back, you know, they expect to get many times more back. Um, and this all comes down to the tax gap. I mean, it's estimated at about £36 billion across the economy, although, of course, it can only get at it, and that's what they're trying to tap into. And things like promoters of tax schemes, they're, uh, and whilst we see fewer of these, we do, as you quite rightly say, Paul, see people that are trying to push the envelope on, on some of these normal relief claims like R&D. And so with extra inspectors and hundreds of millions of pounds to spend on extra inspectors, we're expecting there to be a greater focus on investigations going forward. The revenue over the COVID period, we noticed, sort of took a much lighter approach. But right now we're starting to hear in the, uh, across the sort of industry that the revenue are now ramping up the amount of investigations that they've got. So it'll be interesting to see how, um, how they tackle some of those. Okay, and, and and nothing was wasn't mentioned yesterday. Is that there were previous announcements on national insurance uh, increases on dividend tax, which kind of have, have just been snuck past a lot of people. They haven't really woke up to the fact that if their directors taking dividends out of their businesses or got dividend income from investments, they're going to be paying more tax, and and and, and allowances have been frozen. So I mean, from a private client perspective, company director owner, what, what's the outlook for for their take-home pay, if, if you like? Yeah, well, this is an interesting point, isn't it? Because um, he's made this temporary increase in national insurance, and then he's going to turn it into a levy, and that's one and a quarter percent, and that's across the range. Um, and so from April 22 to April 23, all national insurance rates will go up, so, um, uh, you know, if you're if you're an employee and you're drawing a salary or you're directing, you're drawing a salary, that's going to go up. The cost to you will go up by one and a quarter percent, um, <clears throat> but also the employer's cost will go up by one and a quarter percent. But as you quite rightly say, Paul, on dividends, he's done exactly the same across the range. So it was seven and a half percent, 32 and 38.1. All of those are going up by one and a quarter percent. Now, this doesn't just affect company directors, just to make that clear. It's anyone that gets dividends. And you made a, a very good point yesterday, Paul, we were talking about this, that, you know, if you get more than £2,000 worth of dividends a year, because that's the tax-free allowance that you get, 
which might bring in retired people as well who switch their income over to receiving dividends, they're all going to pay this additional levy as well. And whilst it goes to a good a good place, to the social and, and NHS um, uh, pot, uh, it's still an additional cost for people taking money out of their business. Uh, and so anyone who's going to take dividends needs to start looking at the impact that's going to have. And I would imagine they will want to start thinking about that prior to the April 22 year when this um, initial increase comes in. The other thing, which probably will link in with something Becky will want to point out, is we've already mentioned the rate of corporation taxes is going up. That hasn't been, uh, it didn't seem to be retracting on that. Um, and so that will change the way remuneration planning happens, I think. And I think a lot of our business owners will need to spend some time between now and April 23 thinking about how they draw their funds from the company. A lot of people will have a mix of salary and dividend depending on whether um, they, they want to put punching contributions in personally and therefore want a higher salary or they want to get a mortgage out or dividends because they want that investment return. Um, but that mix I think will change um, and as the rate of corporation tax goes up and including the rate of dividends goes up, what actually becomes the best mix of um, dividends and salary changes remarkably. It hasn't changed for many, many years. I mean, that's right, isn't it, Becky? Just thinking that through. Yeah. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I completely agree with Graham. I mean, I guess Cynic and me still wonders whether he'll actually pursue this increase in corporation tax or whether he'll see this as a real opportunity for um, you know, an obvious cut in taxes nearer the election. But absent that, then yeah, no, I completely agree with Graham. And I think we've already seen a number of our clients wanting to understand the impact of um, you know, that increase. And while it's been posted as an increase in tax uh, for large companies, you've got to remember that it's on profits over £250,000. And if you own more than one company, that is divided by the number of companies that you have control of. So that could actually kick in at a much lower profit threshold of the 25%. And yeah, as you said, when you're paying dividends out of a post-tax um, profit and it's subject to tax at one and a quarter percent more, then it does make that benefit very, very marginal. Okay. So yesterday, while we're on the subject of businesses and the tax that they pay, um, he talked about super deduction and the annual investment allowance, annual investment allowance being extended to March 2023. Can you just talk us through what that means for or for businesses and which type of businesses or what need to think about that? Yes, so at first blush it sounds like a really positive thing. You know, we're we're retaining the um the increased annual investment allowance. So the annual investment allowance allows a business to claim 100 percent tax relief on qualifying expenditure in, in, in that in year one in, in the year that it invests. Now that was due to reduce from one million down to two hundred thousand from the start of next year. It's now announced that that will be retained until March twenty twenty three. So initially, you think that sounds really positive for businesses that have capital um, spend plans. However, he also introduced earlier this year the super deduction. So where you are investing in qualifying plants and machinery, as an example, you already get the one hundred and thirty percent really beneficial super deduction for the same people. Um, and that's uncapped. So the reality is it's going to have a relatively narrow benefit 
the kind of businesses that might benefit from that increased annual investment allowance are, are sort of twofold. One is if you're investing in improving property, and so you have what we call integral features, so that's things like air conditioning and, and um, electrical um, sort of improvements in the building. They, they're probably at a pretty low rate, about 6% deduction per annum. If you can get them into your annual investment allowance at 100% relief, then it really is a genuine acceleration. So those kind of will benefit. The other businesses that it's important to raise this for are unincorporated businesses. They don't benefit from the super deduction. Only, only companies with incorporated businesses benefit from the super deduction. So the other the other group of our clients that this is really good news for are those unincorporated clients and partnerships, etc. Okay, thank you for that. Um, and Karen, if I just come to, to to you, I mean, there was a bit of announcement about the day before yesterday. It was leaked, wasn't it, that the national minimum wage is going up to nine pound fifty uh, per hour. It's not the ten pound an hour that the Labour government were pushing for and not the £15 an hour, thankfully, that they were pushing for at conference. But what, um, so, I mean, from your perspective, what, what's the impact on businesses there? Well, obviously, you've got the direct impact on the national minimum wage rates all going up. And I know that on the recording, there will be a slide with the rates on for our listeners uh, today. Um, but it's obviously with the increase to £9.50, that's for age 23 and over, so the national living wage. Uh, all the rates have gone up quite substantially, certainly more um, than what you would expect pay rises to go up for. So whilst that's really good for individuals and, you know, fully support the fact that, you know, low paid workers are, are receiving uh, more monies but from a business perspective there's a number of things there's some areas that I just want to remind employers to think about so when you're looking at any national minimum wage rise remember if you operate a salary sacrifice scheme that if you take somebody, you, if you're operating that, you cannot take somebody below national minimum wage. Um, personal view is it's bonkers because um, normally people choose to exchange part of their salary for something else, but those are still the rules, so please watch that. The other one is the apprentice rate. That too, as you can see on the slide that's been presented at the moment, that's also increased quite a bit. You know, from £4.30 to £4.81, it, it's quite an increase. Um, but remember, for age 19 and over, if they've been on their apprenticeship for a year, you must then put them onto the appropriate rate for their age. And it must be a genuine apprenticeship in order to benefit from the apprenticeship rate. So again, just watch that. When you're looking at your forecasting, you know, okay, we know now, uh, I do think uh, the plan was to leak it um, so that maybe... Uh, businesses had chance to maybe not be quite so upset on budget day um, but remember if you're forecasting you've got a number of things to consider so yes you've got the rate itself as Graham's already mentioned you've got the 1.25 percent uh, levy going on um, okay it's national insurance from next year but then it will be a separate levy and I'll just want to mention a point on that levy uh, when I finish this bit um, the other thing you've got is pension costs and now, obviously, people are paying, you are paying percentage on people's uh, salaries for automatic enrolment, but it might be that you've got some part-time workers, and with this rise, they could actually now fall into the threshold where you've got to automatically enrol them. So just keep an eye on that, where previously they might not have been because they've not reached the threshold. Uh, they may now fall into, obviously, full-time workers would be in it anyway. Um, 
and obviously um you know when we are looking at all these costs going forward um you know just bear in mind you're looking at all your forecasting you're looking at all those who perhaps are currently using the salary sacrifice scheme for pension it's most popular um mm -hmm. for using it for that are they still going to be able to contribute using that scheme so there's a, a big piece of work we're doing it ourselves as you would expect so it's a big piece of work for you to be looking at but just one point with this as well is universal credits before the boss puts me on the spot um is that bearing in mind the way universal credit works um is it's all if you imagine a, a an invisible line that's got a some form of cap to it please don't ask me the amounts i don't know uh, with the cap and as people's wages go up their universal credits drops down so the higher up they go above that line the less universal credits they receive. So as, of course, wages go up, now, albeit they have reduced, or they have done some changes to UC, which won't have such a big impact, but there will still be a potential impact, particularly, again, part-time workers uh, with increases, or indeed, part-time workers moving up into full-time, so bear that in mind. Um, just one little point on the social care levy. Um, I'm involved in a number of stakeholder groups, as people who've listened to this before will know, um, and we've been discussing um, a number of areas, and one of the things that is going to be required of employers next year is on the payslip, there will need to be a message, the wording of that has not yet been um, confirmed, uh, it will be short, it will be something like no more than 80 characters, uh, but there will need to be a message that, that advises your employees that as part of their national insurance, it, it contains the social care levy. Um, now, from the following year, it's unlikely to be needed because it will be shown separately as a levy. But whilst it's going to be incorporated into that national insurance, uh, because obviously the revenue system, payroll systems would be ready, but the revenue systems wouldn't, just bear that in mind. So watch this space for our news and so forth. And for those who do want some more information on that social care levy, our Insight uh, newsletter um, for this latest edition has got a really detailed bit in there from Justin Rourke, and it's a really useful piece of information if you want to know more about the ins and outs of that. Thank you, Paul. No, thanks for that, Karen. Uh, some useful uh, tips there, but we do see businesses get caught out with this national minimum wage when people get older or, or they trip into different bands and they just don't realise, do they? And things like salary yeah. sacrifice with pensions. Um, yeah, it's just not logical. And frankly, sometimes it just isn't fair on people either, but it's yeah. the... You, as you tell me, it's the it's 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 the rules. And I think while I think the the uh, universal credit taper is, I think it's welcome and sensible because you do hear people not wanting to take on on more work because it's not worth their while. And you know, as businesses are struggling for talent, particularly in the retail and hospitality sector, I think that that is particularly welcome. Yeah. Um, and while you know, we all appreciate uh, national minimum wage going up and we understand it i think there's a lot of pressure on businesses at the moment you know and i don't think it's fully appreciated where they're seeing their employment costs at, at, you know at the lower wages increasing that has a significant knock-on effect you know because it has a knock-on effect right throughout their business they're, they're, they're seeing their national insurance contributions increase by one and a quarter percent and that that adds up when you employ a lot of people um 
and you know if you're an IT or tech business probably, probably doesn't affect you as much certainly the hospitality and retail sector are impacted in my view disproportionately for that and then these business owners are also having to pay another one and a quarter percent on national insurance themselves because uh, self-employed national insurance has increased doesn't it Graham and and if they're taking dividends they're getting hit there as well so mm-hmm. I, yeah I do have some sympathy for the poor business owner who takes risk and works hard are getting squeezed um, from all sides and the, the only way to deal with this for business owners is try and put costs up and pass that on to the consumer which will lead to inflation um, I have made this point to our local MP I don't know if he's listening or not but um, you know, you know, business owners are under pressure. Um, anyway, uh, that's my rant over. So, Becky, just uh, you just want to go back into talking about R and D, and um, he, he announced some changes there around R and D, and the fact it's uh, you talk about extending it to cloud and data and uh, a UK focus. So, what what does, what does that mean for businesses who are taking advantage of of, of that relief? It's really difficult to say exactly what it's going to mean because we haven't seen any of the details. So we don't know exactly what they mean by including those costs as an example, or how they're going to discourage um, sort of that outbound investment into R&D. I would expect that in order to, for your it, to focus on UK R&D, what it will mean is that you cannot claim for foreign workers, i.e., those outside of the UK as opposed to foreign workers in the UK, um, within your qualifying expenditure that, that you benefit from that uplift on. That would be my how I would anticipate it. Um, with the cloud and the, um, the the data elements being included, you know, we already are able to bring in certain tangible assets into an R&D clip, albeit you can always get the full uplift on them. So I'm, I'm wondering if you'll make a play around that, something in the more the intangibles regime and how that comes into the R&D claim. Okay. And, and he spent a lot of time, uh, he mentioned it a few times about we want to become a science and technology superpower. How do you think he's going to, how do you think this budget helps achieve that? I mean, I guess moving away from the, the, the tax elements of it, there is also a, you know, a huge push on actual investment into R&D. So he mentioned a number of times around focusing um, actual government funds into R&D in the medical sector, as an example. You know, we've got some clients that work in in those industries, so that'll be a welcome news. Also, I think, watch this space for the various bodies who will fund it and that, you you know, our clients can look to claim grants. So a great example is that they're looking to push uh, funding into Innovate UK. Um, and I know that we've seen in this region, Innovate UK do a lot with businesses in the R&D sector. So I, I do think that that's as much as the tax breaks, it's also around what they're doing outside of the tax system. And it's about funding. So it's around being able to claim grants. It's also around the work that they're doing on um, easing the burden of, of getting highly skilled workers into the UK. So they're yeah. talking about um, bringing visas for highly skilled workers. So again, that's to try and encourage sort of more um, science and technology sector to get actual people back into the country to work in those industries. Um, there were other mentions around um, different sort of groups that they were going to put together um, to, to go out and into other jurisdictions where we've got a skills gap and try and find people to come and fill it. Okay, cool. And Graham, you talked about uh, 
50% reduction in business rates, which wasn't really a new 50% reduction in business rates for the retail and hospitality sector. So what's happening there and what, you know, is anything particular you should be thinking about? Yeah, well, the business rate has been a thorn, I think, in their side for some time, hasn't it? It's been a, there's been a call to people like the Chamber of Commerce to try and re-examine business rates and there's there's going to be some form of consultation on that i think that they're finally going to make some announcements on uh, and i think that links to something you were mentioning earlier paul when we were talking about an, an online sales tax and, and trying to see how they can use that maybe to, to alleviate some of the pressures that are perceived to come with business rates one of the things he's done with business rates is he's um, he's frozen the multiplier so the way business rates works is your property is valued at a certain point in time, and then there's a multiplier which normally increases, which is applied to it to give the amount of the rate. Um, and <clears throat> he's frozen that multiplier, which will help. He's also he's also now reducing the amount of time between the revaluations. It used to be every five years, and so properties could have been it could have been five years since we're last revalued. Well, in the arguably in the retail, hospitality, and leisure sector those businesses could have um, certainly, uh, you know, a retail shop might be worth less now than it was five years ago, depending on, on where it is, I guess. Um, so, uh, you know, for those kinds of businesses, but also the businesses, it will now come down to a three-year waiting period. So it's trying to more closely align that. And I think that was a suggestion that was, that was quite welcome. But as you quite rightly said, very focused on retail, leisure and hospitality was this 50% discount of business rates. However, for those that are in that sector, you'll know that they're already getting a discount during the 21, 22 year, um, a, a discount that started at 100% and was it had tapered off to, I think, 66%. So he's really he's extended it um, so that there is still some relief there for them over this um, 20 year, 20, day, well, it's next year, 22, 23 year. And I guess that will give him the time to think about what they want to do and announce what they're going to do with business rates going forward. So helpful for them, um, not anything new, just an extension of, of something that was already there, which, which, as I say, helpful, but uh, he really needs to tackle it and decide what he's doing with, with some of these other things in relation to business rates. And one, one of the things we thought he might do um, was extend the, the reduction in VAT in the hospitality. Uh, now he, he didn't do that, uh, but he did bring in some new reductions in, in in terms of duty for alcohol. What do you see that being able to improve the margins for landlords? Um, I don't know. There's, there's, uh, some of the stuff that I've been reading is not my area, Paul, as you can appreciate. But some of the things I've been reading have sort of suggested that things like the draft relief, which was around a, a, a 40 litre keg, is it? But that may not help the smaller uh, breweries that use 30 litre kegs or, or, or even the, um, the cider producers that use smaller. So they may not be able to benefit from this draft relief, which is meant to try and help us all to come into, into uh, pubs again. So it will certainly help um, some of the uh, beer uh producers whether that gets passed on be an interesting thing that there was some talk last night certainly around prices of beer were going to go up there was talk that a, a price of a pint would come down by three pence so i'm guessing he's trying to weigh all of that open it looks like there may be some reduction in some 
uh, of the uh, of the costs that you were going to face down at the pub. Obviously, the alcohol and duty rates, he was just trying to rationalise that, I think, and obviously using Brexit as, as the reason why he couldn't have done it before, to try and bring us down to that six bandings rather than 15 and, and apply the duties in a kind of more tiered rate, depending upon the strength of the alcohol. Whether that gets passed on, totally different fish, I guess. Okay, thank you for that. Um, I've just got some questions coming through from people who are listening now. Now, interesting, there's one come through on the plastic tax, which uh, we had an interesting conversation uh, about fairly recently. Um, and the comment says to be a huge lack of information the government the detail to allow businesses to plan. Now, we agree there is a huge lack of information. Uh, just uh, so, Richard, we, we are pulling together an update on the plastic tax, but there isn't a lot of information out, out, out uh, there on it. So, uh, I, I, is there anything we can say on the plastic tax other than there's not enough information out there, Becky? Not particularly. You're absolutely right. You know, we had this discussion with Alex, our indirect tax lead um, and at the moment you know I, I've, I've personally had within the course of a couple of days had clients asking about it um, unfortunately just due to the lack of detail in there we've not been able to be necessarily as helpful as we would normally like to be but I do know that Alex is on it so hopefully in the near future we'll have some um, more detail more information that we can push out through our website and we will be contacting clients who we believe are going to be directly impacted yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, um, leaving this quite late, isn't it? Because it's an April 22 tax, you know, and there's barely a page on it on the government website. Right, okay. Um, so, I mean, being a firm in the north of the of the, of the the UK, uh, we're very aware of this uh, agenda from Boris about levelling up. But one of the questions coming through, how does this budget assisting, assist in the levelling up? Now, uh, the, the, there is some talk about infrastructure investment in the north and connecting Manchester through to um, uh, Hull, basically, and uh, I'm not sure how it helps the north northwest, um, maybe through road and infrastructure investment. But any thoughts on how this budget might help support the levelling up agenda? I suppose I could, yeah, passenger duty might might help with some of the local. You know, you mentioned Leeds Bradford Airport might be helpful, I suppose. And yeah. they're investing some funds in, so that on the face of it, they are trying to address it. Things like, I think, is it Regional Angels Programme that they're going to roll out, which helps um, sort of smaller businesses get access to equity earlier on. Um, and as I say, you know, that point around skill gaps and trying to focus on that, such that. There's, there's, there's definitely an interest from particularly institutional investors outside of London. You know that there are a lot of businesses outside of London, so I do think something needs to be addressed in that. And, and, and some of the, as I say, the non-tax elements, some funding elements that were mentioned yesterday, be interesting to see how they're used. Yeah. Yeah. I was having a conversation with the PE House in London uh, just uh, earlier this week, actually, and they were talking about how they find. Uh, North England quite attractive at the moment, they're particularly attractive in the central belt, uh, attracted to the central belt of Scotland as well. Um, so that will be interesting. To and you know, in terms of the levelling up agenda, the uh, I can't remember the name of them now, but there, there are grants available for businesses looking to uh, explore how they export, uh, whether they're exporting 
or not currently, um, if they want to do a trip abroad to look at new markets, or they want to develop their website, I think there's about still money available. It's up to £9,000 per business. It's match funded, uh, but that, that, that is available uh, to businesses. So and we have that information. So if people do need that, they need to get in touch and talk to us about that. But there are, there are, there are government grant fundings, funding available. It's only available to businesses in the north of England. And I'm aware of businesses trying to, in the north, perhaps deal with a, fir a county firm in the south and their registered business addresses, their accountants uh, address in London, and they've not been able to get the money because the government is saying, well, you're not a northern business, you're a, you're a London-based business. So there are there are grants available for northern-based businesses at the moment. Um, do we think there are going to be more tax hikes coming down the line in this parliament? I mean, Becky Graham, what are your thoughts on that? I can't yeah. see there being any more increases in the headline corporation tax rate. If anything, as I said earlier in this webinar, the cynic wonders if he'll use it as an, a bit of an election grab and actually reduce it nearer the time. He seems very focused on, as opposed to taxes to fund everything, that it's, it's economic growth that's going to be the deciding factor. So it, it would be very unpopular for him to then look to increase taxes, I think. I, I don't know what your thoughts are, Graham. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, uh, one of the things we, we didn't touch on because it was it was announced earlier in the year was how he's frozen the, the personal allowances and the basic rate and the high rate threshold. So um, that is going to bring in a significant amount of money. I mean, looking at the, the tax tables, it's going to be in 7 billion in 23, 24, 10 billion, 24, 25, and 13 billion thereafter. Um, by just freezing it and this thing called fiscal drag, which is as people's wages increase, uh, which he was talking about, they get pulled into paying more tax. Now, if you're a, 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 a cynic in me, uh, similar to, to Becky thinks, that if you're heading in towards an election, you're probably going to want to unfreeze those personal answers. I don't see him changing the rates particularly. But I think what he will try to do then at some point in time over the next few years is start to allow those rates which were increasing in line with inflation to start uh, the threshold to start increasing again so that um, it pulls people back from being into the highest rates of, of taxation. And he did say, and I think it's, it's been widely reported, you know, these are we're facing as a percentage of GDP the highest uh, sort of levels of taxation that we face since the 50s and I imagine that probably hurts them albeit there's been some exceptional circumstances to why we're there so they would want to try and, and, and pay that back so I don't I don't see there being any tax rises um, particularly the only thing that was interesting uh, Paul if I can just touch upon it was that the thing on basis periods which hasn't been widely reported but was mentioned in one of the documents that came out in the budget yesterday and this is where uh, people who choose their year ends sort of partway during the year, have a June year end as an example, they're taxed on the profits of the previous June potentially, uh, you know, and what the government are talking about is aligning it so that you always pay your taxes uh, in relation to the tax year, so the 31st of March or the 5th of April. <clears throat> and what that will do is it will mean that um, I think it comes in in 24-25, but there's a transitional period in 23-24. What it'll do is it mean people have to recalculate the tax or shift their year end. And in shifting their year end, it will pull other profits in if you've got a non 31st of March, 5th of April year end. And the way this will increase taxes is 
um, and it's a little complicated, but when you start off a business and you don't have a 31st of March year end, you end up with something called overlap profits from your earlier periods. And those overlap profits just carry forward all the way through the business life cycle until you end and then you get them knocked off and they don't increase by inflation or anything of that nature. Um, and when businesses change year end, you do get that relief, you do get those profits knocked off. But if your profits are now higher and you're getting overlap profits that are at a lower level, you're going to actually end up probably in 24, 25, and the government recognised this is going to be the case, paying more tax in that year. Now, they've estimated that the additional tax will be about £1.4 billion for sole traders and partners. If you look at the Red Book, if they're, and they've split it over a number of, of different years because they're going to allow people to, to um, pay it over a five-year period. And whilst that's not an increase in rates, it's, it's just one indication of how a simple change in how you're going to tax your year end and the fact that a lot of businesses that have been in place for a long time have got profits at lower levels to offset against it are going to have an impact on them, which they need to plan for. Similar to the remuneration, they need to be thinking about this um, coming down the line at some point in time. So that's going to have a real impact on small businesses' cash flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And the government have, have tried to alleviate it by saying you need to pay it all, all in, all, all in a wanna, if you like, or you can split it over five years. But it's still those taxes were always. I mean, the profits are always going to be taxed over the lifetime of the business. But the government have now managed to squash it all into one tax year by aligning the um, by aligning the, the the basis period, as we call it, the tax basis period, with the tax year end. And so that's going to have in that one year this this concertina effect. Right. Yeah. yeah, needs to be thought about. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, there's the what? I mean, you touched on it, Graham. I mean, there's this tax called capital gains tax that's payable on investments, and you know, it, it's perceived by certainly a lot of the media as being a a tax break for the super wealthy, and uh, you know, I mean, what what what? Which which we, which we know it's not. I mean, everyday people who just work hard and save money, invest their money, uh, pay it uh, all the time, actually. Um, do, you, do you think we'll see an increase or an alignment with capital gains tax to income tax or anywhere near? Um, I think I was, I, I'd be surprised. I mean, I was surprised this year, I suppose, that I didn't see it increased. I'd be surprised if it doesn't increase over the course of this parliament somewhere. I don't think you push it up to income tax rates, or if he does, they'll have to bring in indexation allowance for those that are old enough and can remember indexation allowance as a kind of inflationary increase of the asset. And it was deemed to be quite complicated. I mean, you can put calculators on websites to try and calculate it, but um, I always remember, I think it was Gordon Brown back in the late um, sort of 2008-9 period who reduced the, the rate of CGT down to 28% at the time. And he said he did that because above 28%, people sort of planned, the real high net worth individuals, ultra high net worth individuals, planned around the tax. So at 28%, it was felt nobody bothered to plan around it, they would just simply pay it. And so we've got a 28% rate on residential property, we've got a 20% rate on uh, other assets. What I could imagine them doing is perhaps pushing the 20% rate up to meet the 28% rate on residential, and maybe because they're trying to release housing stock, maybe push the residential property rate up somewhat, maybe not as high as uh, as marginal rates, you know, 40, 45%, but certainly up a bit just to try and keep that differential between other assets and residential property as a kind of policy thing for the government. 
Okay, interesting. Some food for thought for people there. I mean, the, the trouble is, it, it's it's all right. All these reports saying if you aligned capital gains tax to income tax, it would generate this much revenue. But actually, people's behaviours will change, and well, what we find is people don't sell assets if they've got tax to pay on them, yeah. even though perhaps they should sell the assets. Yeah, and do that's so. exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, people are loss averse anyway, but then if you you add the tax into it as well, it just seems like if certainly at forty percent, you you know, you're taking a big chunk of of that investment asset away from people, aren't you? Uh, yeah. And and oftentimes they'll be doing that leading up towards their retirement. Okay. Becky, any any thoughts for you? Do you, I mean do you see any tax changes coming down the, the road other than perhaps maybe a cut in corporation tax? No, I think the main thing that I just wanted to kind of flag is a similar one to the one you just made around cash flow impact. I think for me the, the crunch time for business is really going to be around that April 23 time when all these reliefs that I mentioned earlier, the annual investment allowance, the super deduction, they're going to be taken away and potentially the headline rate of tax is going to go up to 25%. So um, I'm hopeful that over the next 18 months it gives businesses enough time to be able to <clears throat> bounce back and that we do see the economic growth that, that Rishi is clearly reliant on. But I think businesses just need to constantly keep that in mind that that, that tax impact that it will have on, on companies in, in April 23. Yeah, so, so really what we're saying is if you're looking to, to do any investment in your business through expansion or development, then as, as things stand, we're looking at uh, April 23, these things coming to end. Now, hopefully something new might come down the, the road, but it depends on whether he has to or not. And you've got higher corporation tax. So there's quite a bit of planning and thinking that business owners, just people need to be doing generally, you know, whether it's private client or companies or, or small, medium-sized businesses with some of the things that you've talked about, because there are pinch points coming down the road, aren't they? Absolutely, yes. Okay, okay. Uh, well, I think that's all we've got time for. Uh, thank you for the panel's input. I must admit, when I first, you know, when we wrapped up the budget yesterday, I wasn't expecting this to have a lot to talk about. So, it, you know, it, we're now 45 minutes into the webinar. And some useful thoughts and ideas. That's hopefully everybody who's been watching the webinar has found found them useful. Alex has messaged me to say that um, uh, there is a update on plastic tax coming but so thank you for everybody who uh, joined the webinar do keep a lookout for future webinars that we will continue to run and uh, thank you for our panelists and your insight this morning thank you